Hi, everyone. Welcome to Liberal Use of the Word. My name is Catherine Turnus, and I'm the host of this rodeo. So as the many regular listeners to the one episode of this podcast (laughs) know, this is called Liberal Use of the Word. There are many terms in society and life that get thrown around um, far too often and without a real understanding and consideration for what the word means or or represents. And so my guests are all invited to select a a term or a concept that they would like to dive deeper into. I am joined here today by my sister. And as this is going to continue to go out to the test uh, pilot users of the pod, I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who gave such amazing feedback. I really, really appreciate it. I hope that you uh, were doing it out of both a love and appreciation for podcasts and as a way to escape uh, COVID <laughs> uh, COVID boredom. <laughs> I'm happy to provide a venue for, for both avenues and, and both activities. My guest today is the one and only Judith Turnus, aka Jet, aka Judy, aka Jetski. Very happy to have you on the pod. Do you want to say hi? Tell us how you're feeling. Tell, tell us, where are you uh, calling us from today? <laughs> Which exotic locale are we uh, gracing, gracing us with your presence from? Pretty special. It is the closet of my one-bedroom apartment Oof. in Central Square, Cambridge, mm. Massachusetts. Mm. I left this one-bedroom apartment for the first time in several <laughs> days earlier today to go on a physically distant, socially together walk. I would love for you to orient uh, listeners to our relationship. How did we meet? At birth. <laughs> I wrote March 20th. I think, question mark. <laughs> I don't have the faintest idea. There's just that picture of all of us that looks like it's at a hospital. At some, certainly within 24 hours of March 20th. <laughs> it was obviously a very traumatic couple of weeks in our family's history. Um, mm. There is a lot um, surrounding today's today's topic that uh, my birthday relates to. Um, I'd love to hear highlights of uh, our time together. Well, truly what came to mind to me is that I have very little memory of anything that has happened in my life up until this point. I wish the answer were different, but I actually looked at the questions in advance and was like, I don't remember anything. Let me just tell you the whole arc of what I recall of our relationship. No memories until my first memory is of the fact that you wanted to you loved playing with horses and that you wanted me to play horses with you and I didn't want to play horses and I generally didn't want to play with you even though you were just like a nice little girl that wanted to play with her older sister I did I did want to ask out of curiosity if you could think of a celebrity duo that you thought represented our relationship. Oh, I saw that question and I was like, I don't fucking know these kinds of things. And she knows it. Like I'm not the person to ask that question of. I don't remember anything. I don't know celebrities. I don't know like specific dates or specific numbers. It's just <laughs> it's just just all a big bowl of oatmeal up there. <laughs> 
Um, okay, that's very fair. And to be honest, that's probably going to be true for a lot of people. Do you think we're more same than we are different? Ooh, eternal question. That I don't think I know the answer. I always describe it to people as getting to know you and I is like a roller coaster. Emotionally, certainly. <laughs> I think when people first meet us, first, first meet us, oh my God, are you guys twins? Blah, blah, blah. Because we're so similar. I don't think it's actually as similar as twins, but I think just in general, people think people are, have a very low threshold for that question. Then they get to know us better and they don't think we're similar. So that's going down the roller coaster. Then they get to know us really well and go back to thinking we're very similar because they can recognize like our mannerisms and our way of talking and then get to know us really, really well. And I would say like Della and Jasmine are people like this who very much think of us as, and like our parents who think of us as, as very different people fundamentally. The funnier thing will be to listen to this and see if it sounds like we're just talking to each other. Cause I, I will say, I think our that voices was something sound I wondered very about. <laughs> funny. It will make the parts where I, um, any future recordings where I just start talking to myself, I'll just pretend like you showed up randomly. Okay, so let's get into the um, carne asada, as they say, of this pod. <laughs> and given the many different topics, or with the, with the option to select from many, many topics, uh, of which I would say you are well-versed in, if not an expert, you chose death. Yes. I do always start with the dictionary.com. And the dictionary.com definition of death is yes. the act of dying, the end of life, the total and permanent cessation of all the vital functions of an organism. Say that again. The act of dying, the mm-hmm. end of life. Mm-hmm. The what total the third one? and permanent cessation of all the vital functions of an Mm. organism wow i like that one i'd love to typically i do offer guests the opportunity to either build upon or provide their own definition um I mean, I think it's when your soul separates from the physical container that it has been in. And the physical container ceases <laughs> to... I was trying to incorporate the third definition, but it's not working. Um, That's okay. You had, a, you had a good one going. Keep going. Yeah, I think it's when I think it's when your soul separates from your body uh, and the physical container that is or was your body um, becomes just that an inanimate container that you used to be in. I'd love to know more about why the word container seems to speak to you particularly <laughs> in in this definition. It doesn't sound like that is unintentional it feels like you were intentionally choosing that term rather than yeah definitely I think I probably thought this before I heard it but you and I were together actually 
on a great trip that I now I'm just recalling existed uh, in Mexico City when I first listened to Carrie Egan on Fresh Air. Carrie Egan is a hospice chaplain who has written um, at least one book, if not more, about her experiences. And I will never forget how I felt the first time I heard her speak. And I loved the whole interview, but the part of that interview that I loved more than any other part that is one of the single most beautiful things I've ever heard was her recounting her experience of ministering to a woman dying of cancer and telling Carrie Egan, I'm really going to miss my body. And I, the whole time that my whole life, I've always hated my body. Um, and now I think about how I'm really going to miss it, how it's the body that gave me my children. And I'm going to miss this body. I'm obviously paraphrasing, and it was much more beautiful live. I guess if I were no, a good podcast guest, I would have looked it up, the oh. exact quote up. Um, but I will never forget listening to that. And I thought, I think it probably struck me partially just as a woman, right? Like, I don't know that any woman has the experience of living her life in her body and not certainly not hating it at some point. Yeah, I think, right. Obviously we aspire to move beyond just hating our bodies as the vessel, but, um, Mm. but this discomfort in your physical body, I think is a big part of womanhood. Um, And so to be able to appreciate this container. I guess it's two reasons. I'm, I I think I'm going to be a way too circular thinker for it's this okay. to be listen, listenable oh, to feel like literally anyone. If I feel like you're really going off off course, off-roading, I will I will bring you back. I just to wish the trail. that I were able to be like lucid and succinct. Oh. Um and asking just, a lot from your yeah. pile of mush. It's <laughs> the, oatmeal, only do, the oatmeal doesn't no, do that the oatmeal doesn't cook as quickly as it used to. So we're giving it we're <laughs> popping it in the microwave. It never cooked quickly and it's only cooking. It's only ever been now. slow oats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the slowest, the slowest <laughs> slow rolled oats. Yeah. And anyways, so I guess that's one reason that I think about the container is because mm. I think that I think that we are people that exist outside of our bodies and that like we as individuals can cultivate a relationship to our physical body. Mm. That's one reason. And can I, before you get to yep. your second point, which it sounds like it's right on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, far be it for me to interrupt the classic <laughs> horse's neigh before a salient point as <laughs> most lawyers and other orators use. But um, <laughs> universal symbol for I know what is going to come out of my mouth next. Um <laughs> I did want to I think I think the point about the body is so important when you're thinking about death because for me 
it has been one of, oh my God, Raja, can you purr any louder? I can hear it. I'm like, you can't hear him. I can't hear him. Let it okay. go. Okay. Okay. I'm going to restate that because somebody's being difficult. Like he's literally been asleep all like in 99. Oh my God. But you can't hear him. Move on woman. Okay. Um, I think the point about the body is really important in my experience with the few, I would say deaths for which I was old enough to really process what was going on and think about it critically. The seeing the person in the funeral home or at, at the funeral service, certainly if I'm going to the wake, obviously it starts at the funeral home. I think one of the first moments that really solidifies that this person is gone is when you see them, if you do an open casket, which I know is not in every cultural tradition, but if you're doing an open casket and you see the body at the Mm -hmm. wake or the funeral, because I just remember even when grandpa died, like that was, I thought I would be so much sadder, but it was just this immediate feeling of, that is no longer the person that I think of mm-hmm. when I think of as my grand. Like what I am thinking of as my grandfather is no longer contained in this. Mm-hmm. So it's irrelevant whether or not the body is physically here or not, because the part that I'm thinking of, I can already tell is, is no longer with us. Um, and I felt the same way when, uh, when our, when our uncle passed away about um, a month ago and that, in a way, ago, I find yeah. what? Sorry, two months ago. Oh, time is time is super crazy right now. Yes, time keeps on ticking. I don't have the royalty rights for that. Stop singing it. Space Jam did not sponsor the Space Jam soundtrack. Is not unfortunately an approved sponsor of this podcast, but. I did buy Outfitters mug, so I am well on my way. Um, but I think that uh, Uncle Jim, you noticed it, you felt it. Yeah, yeah, also. no. But I think I think that moment, I find that to be very reassuring. I think it's. I think it gets back to human beings being such visual creatures, and you know, seeing is believing in a lot of ways, and seeing. Uh, seeing that and feeling that that energy is gone, it makes it, I think, a lot easier for your body. It just sends a really clear, very effective message to my body that says, you you, you are past the, I know this is not the order that it goes in, but you are past the like denial phase and you are in the accepting and processing phase because like this definitely happened. That's, that's how it comes across for me. Um, that can be very disarming for other people and it's certainly very jarring especially if you have not seen the person recently obviously because can it be jarring like did you are you just speculating or I think I are you thinking of a particular experience I'm not thinking of my particular experience but I'm trying to be sympathetic to people at both of those funerals for those people because those were obviously the sort of most profound and impactful funerals Mm -hmm. that have happened recently that I've been involved with when I think about people who knew both of them, you know, through middle age, but maybe hadn't seen them in 10 or 15 years, you have this like very fixed image of what their body looks like and what their energy feels like. And if you're closer to them as they, in some cases, get sick or right before they pass away, even though it's happening in micro 
subconscious ways, your, your body is continually mm-hmm. taking in that information. And as you see them in different stages and see that their body is changing and see that their energy is changing, it sends these like micro messages, which I think helps ease the process of accustoming, what's the word I'm thinking of? Getting used to acclimating to the idea that this person is not going to be with you anymore versus for somebody who, you know, hadn't seen grandpa in 15 years, Mm -hmm. that would, you know, that is a pretty jarring shock. That's a pretty stark difference from what you had in your mind. Um, So I do think the whole aspect of the physical body and the energy associated with it and, and where does it go and how do you interpret that is a really important part of death to unpack. Yeah. That was mostly what I was going to say in my second, that was what my second point was about was why I think I use the word container is because I have seen not a ton of dead bodies, but I've seen a handful. And Mm -hmm. I think when you see them, exactly what you said, it's incredibly apparent that like they have left, they have shed this Mm -hmm. exterior and that person is no longer there. Mm -hmm. I actually, if I can ask you a question that I, now that we're on that particular topic, I think there are bringing it back to our current context of um, COVID, but thinking about um, some of the challenges in healthcare crises in general, especially with infectious diseases, even harkening back to all the challenges that we ran into with Ebola, you know, it makes, it's something to really think about. It's, there are many stages of grief and loss going on right now at just a tremendous pace and speed that makes it very hard to process Mm -hmm. a lot of things. But if you think about if your own loved one was passing away and because of the isolation protocols, not being able to physically be there and see them and that energy changing and, and see their body being moved from being one that has that energy to one that does not um, mm-hmm. is going to profoundly impact and and make it much harder, I think, or more challenging for those families to really process those deaths. Even if even if that was just one death that happened like that, that would be hard to have that happening within a pub- an unprecedented public health crisis. Just you know, compounds that by about a thousand. But um, it's a real loss and it's obviously not limited to it's that's going to be happening geographically all over the world. And it's, um, it's something that we should be mindful of. I'm sure in your many, in your running list of things to improve about, um, I don't know how you're phrasing it. You're not to be, I don't feel like I hear you calling it funeral services. And I think that makes sense because that's not what you're, that's not the way that you describe it, but in your, future career as somebody who works in this space Hmm. more, I'm sure everything going on with COVID has given you a lot of ideas of how you can, of different ways to mourn and the importance of mourning. Yeah. I think right now it's more that it has illustrated exactly as you said, why it is so important that people have space to grieve because so many people are not being, not, not getting that right now. And so it just, 
Yeah, I don't have anything to add beyond. You mean you mean you mean a physical space to grieve? I mean it both ways. Um, but I guess I think the physical space is really important, and what is being lost right now. I mean, I think our so all my classes are online now, right? And so, Mm. and I watch church online now, and so it Mm. has it has reinforced my appreciation for being physically immersed in a particular space and how that allows you to shut out. Mm. Mm-hmm. It allows, it allows you mentally to be in a certain place that you is much harder to access when mm-hmm. you're not changing your physical environment. Mm-hmm. So like, it's very hard for me to get into the mental and emotional space to replicate what I feel in church, even if I'm watching a exactly the same content but in my home like it's just so much more work and so I think COVID has shown us how physically how important physical immersion is in certain spaces to be able to be in the right mental space and so I do think I mean both physical and emotional space to grieve And I would, while we're on this topic, love for you to extrapolate a little bit more on your future career. I don't want to put any words in your mouth because I just want you to describe what you think of when you think about working in this space professionally. Well, certainly I think uh, what it looks like is something that we are figuring out right now. Um well, what it could look like, I guess, is something we're figuring out. I don't see a way to enter and not be in like the physical, be in the physical game, right? Which means having some sort of, I don't think we would call we would never call it a funeral home, but like kind of competing directly with funeral homes is something that I very much see in the future if things, if I could like design my own future. Um, from from this point onwards. So the beginning point, I think the goal is to find ways to help people grieve and to make space for their mourning, their grief, their ceremony, their memorialization, their celebration, like make space for all of the emotional things and try to take away the logistical things that take up space when you're dealing with the death of someone. So that's the goal. And I don't see a way to do that. That at some point doesn't get into like, like the real estate business of this, which means like managing um, a space, managing a future. Yeah. Managing spaces. And that might look like we own um, we own a crematorium and we own mm. a like deforested area and mm. we are engaged in fire. Cremation is still very energy intensive. So that's not, I don't think the like optimal end state, but some way of um, making, uh, making nutrient rich, <laughs> nutrient rich making making Eco bodies friendly. into into nutrient rich uh nutri- nutrient rich products mm. um that can then like be used let's say to make instead of a cemetery with people's bodies 
bodies buried in it, like a forest where the trees have been, the trees are all like represented, represent mm-hmm. someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that person is part of that land, for instance. Hmm. I mean, I think that would be amazing. I'd much rather, I, you know, one of the challenges that I always have with cemeteries is if it physically ties that person's loved ones to one, one physical space, which can be hard in today and in the future as travel becomes easier because you obviously don't get to quote unquote yeah, be with that trans, person. Yeah. And, and you still have that issue with trees, right? But I love that idea. Um, I do have to ask because people in our family and your friends will certainly know that this has been, I would say, a long-term hmm. fascination is not the right term, but uh, this, is, this has been an area of interest to, for you not for, not wholly for a substantial portion of your now 30 plus years on this earth. And I would love to know if you have spent any time thinking about this. I can't imagine you haven't. You're a very analytical, thoughtful person. Um, Why? Around, yeah, where where does this interest come from? Why does this, because, you know, we sort of make jokes about it at times, but this is a very genuine and earnest and serious interest of yours. And I think there's a difference between people who are, feel, you know, people who feel strongly about, things that should have been better at their loved one's funerals or services, which I think all of us have experienced at one point. And somebody saying, no, I actually think I, I could work in this space and I want to improve the, the industry, which is now certainly I feel like the level of uh, gravity and seriousness that I hear you talking about it most of the time. Mm. Yeah, well, now that Carly quit her job, it's getting more serious because I have someone who is, um, I have like a good potential partner, which I have always wanted to work. I've always known that like I wouldn't want to do anything like this by myself because I like talking to people too much and like thinking through ideas with other people. So anyways, it's really great for me that Carly decided to quit slash get fired from her job. So, um, so, re- so Carly, we'd like to shout out to our other unofficial sponsor, Carly. Thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for your um, donation and your sacrifice. Yeah. It's very nice of her. Um, as far as where it comes from, I think I have thought about this. I don't have a great answer. I know that um, even when everyone was still alive, uh, Uh, If you will recall, as I know you will, I was always really interested, even like with grandma, (laughs) with our grandparents, I was incredibly interested in (laughs) how they would reflect on their life. Hmm. Um, I was really, they were, our mom had us when she was pretty old. So grandma and grandpa were always old. And um, so I think for most of my adult life, I have been curious about how they felt as they got closer to death and um, how they felt looking forward at like what they thought was awaiting them Mm. and how they felt looking backwards and how they, you know, reflected on their life and how, how those two things interplayed with each other. So 
how it, how do people look forward to not look forward as in positively anticipate, uh-huh. but in a neutral way? Like, how is it that they anticipate um, death? Uh, and how is it that they look back on their life, I guess? Like, I, I think I have a hypothesis that those things are related. Uh-huh. So, yep. yeah. Go ahead. I think that, yeah, and I think it's it's interesting to hear, you know, I do want to delve into, I had asked some questions around, you know, your personal experience with death and, yeah, we'll get we, there. you know, we earlier had talked about that. I do think one of the things that I notice when I think about that definition, which I agree, I think, I think you had a lot of, I, you know, you were constantly asking Grandma, <laughs> how did it feel? How did it feel to be in a, an 87 year old's mm-hmm. body? And did it feel like she was 87 on the inside? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Those questions. <laughs> yep. a, a question. I'm, she. I mean, aren't you curious? Like, I don't understand how other people are not curious about those things. Like what is, I, I mean, yeah, I don't understand for one second. Like, how are you not so interested to know? Like, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. And at the same time, I recognize that I will never be able to fully understand it. Like there is no arrangement of words or sentences that anybody could say who is, you know, 90 plus years old to me that I would really, you ju- I just wouldn't get it because I don't think that it's, it's not just a physical sensation. Like even in whatever you're physical ailments are it's linked to some it's linked to some part of your past experience in some way so it's it's like a it's a continuous experience I don't think it's a discrete one that you could describe and say you know when I was Mm -hmm. 80 I felt this way and when I was 90 I felt this way and me as a 20 year old I can understand those two things because I I don't think I'd ever be able to understand either one of them I mean I don't even know I don't think I can really sympathize with what it feels like to be in a 40 plus year old body right now. And that's much closer, <laughs> obviously, to my current experience. Um, but I think, I think it's still, a, I think you get fascinating answers out of it. So I don't think it's not a question worth asking. Um, I think also just because grandma is grandma, I was <laughs> never, uh, I did grandma not. Grandma was never giving me much to work with it's true grandma and grandpa notoriously mindful people really did not worry that much about (laughs) about the future and therefore were not great candidates for this uh question at times well there's still data they just didn't answer my questions yeah which mm, i think I think was uh, the way that grandma grandma would want it and still wants it <laughs> to this day. But she loves you because she allows you to ask that question repeatedly almost every year. Uh, I do think, but, but what I, I was think, get- yep. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead with what you were going to say. I was going to say that I... I lost my train of thought. If you can um, remember. <laughs> yeah. I can't well, interrupt you mid-sentence. That's my main takeaway. It's like the goldfish memory is so strong. The spot the gray sponge <laughs> stops lighting up. It switches to man. listening the too oatmeal. quickly. The oatmeal. Yeah. Um 
Well, I want to try to listen, like properly listen to what you're saying. So that's part of the reason why the thought gets deleted is I'm trying not to just like hold on to the thought that I'm having and trying to actually listen to what it is that you're saying. I don't understand. <laughs> Tell me more about yeah, this I know that you, experience. Yes, I know it's probably not something that feels super familiar to you. Mm. Um, am I aging? I guess I just, oh, this is what I was going to say. I think that this is like, like part of the reason I find it so interesting and honestly don't understand how other people are not interested is I think that like it's literally the core of what it means to be human um Mm -hmm. I think is to figure out like figuring out why we're here I'm sure that I am more bogged down by that question than other people are I'm sure that other people lead very happy lives um Mm. and don't lose a single night of sleep like desperately wondering like what the fuck am I doing here but um certainly I'm not one of those people <laughs> don't know them. and I think don't resp- <laughs> not responding to the question they're like aliens to me is yes I don't I don't understand the question and I won't respond to it mm-hmm. um I but you think the majority it's certainly is- like a very it's a very, very pressing question for me. And I think it's, I think most people spend some time thinking about it. Um, and I think that it takes, I feel like maybe it was Seneca said like, it takes a whole lifetime to learn how to live. Mm. And yeah. And I think that it does take a whole lifetime to learn how to live and you do need to figure out what that means for yourself. But I also think that, I want to know like what do people who have, I feel like I've gained so much wisdom. Like the the person that I am now, I think has, has changed so much in the last, I've gained so much wisdom in the last couple of years. In my own opinion, no one else maybe thinks that, <laughs> but I feel like I've uh, so I'm turning wisdom. to my fact checkers and they, <laughs> they're giving me the like medium hands wave. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think that as you get older, even if, your grandma and it's like you're like oh god I don't know I have nothing to say about this um (laughs) I think there is still wisdom there whether she thinks there's wisdom there or not and so I've always found it odd that the way that American society is structured with like you move through the hardest um parts of your life by which I mean like uh middle school, high school, college, you move through those parts of your life surrounded by people who are your own age, who Mm. are going through exactly the same problems that you are and who have also no idea whatsoever um, Mm. what's Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. and that we we don't benefit, I think, from the wisdom of people sort of at the other side of their lives. And I have to imagine that they have it. So... Is your solution that we should start sending old people to middle school with us or? Yes. Okay. I think it would Just keep the old people, the, the young, policy the young people more mature. Yeah. I'd like to yeah. do like um, a life swap once a week where I get to live at a senior at assisted living home and you get to go to uh geometry or algebra whatever the hell you're doing in middle school i clearly do not remember i do think like i think people want to know what like i think the question of like what is my purpose Mm. and what is what is my purpose what does it mean to be human like all of those things are questions that i think most people confront at some point in their life Mm -hmm. and i think those ultimately come down to questions about 
like what it means, what it means to be alive and what it means to be dead. And so I think that's like mm. the, the origin in some ways of my interest is just that like purpose is so important to me. And I, I think, unfortunately, I have to spend my whole stupid life trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's going to take forever. It's going to be and, a long road. And- if that prior experience is any indication, um, but I don't think there's a way out of it. If 2020 yeah, is any true. indication, we may not even make it. We don't, the road is emotionally longer even than it is physically. But yeah. uh, just to be clear by that logic is you're thinking that if you learn as much as you can from older people, you can skip over the part where you struggle with. Is this the fast track to understanding your purpose? Hmm. Um, for the most part, I don't think, I don't think that there is a fast track. Um, I agree with that. For the most part, I think you have to get get there, but I don't think that means I wouldn't phrase it as such. Right. I don't think it's like, Oh, like grandma, one day grandma's just going to like, tell me, tell me what's up. (laughs) She's going to like, let me in. The seventh horcrux is in the cave, (laughs) Harry. (laughs) And then the book ends. Yeah. Like I know that's not going to happen. But I think like that's why like we have literature and we have history and we have philosophy and art mm. because those things do help us understand. It's not like, yes, yes. like, yes, it takes a lifetime, but it doesn't mean that we can't learn anything along the way or like expedite the process or like get some good tips, you know? Yeah. So, like I'm, I'm just trying, looking, just I'm looking trying, for some hot tips. I'm trying to um talk to, I'm, I'm saying mm, I want to live to a hundred. So if I find a lot of 99 year olds and I learn from them in one year, I'll be done. <laughs> I'll be good to go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, But I think that definitely animates my interest. And yeah, I lost. I think, I think that, um, so it's, I mean, I think I understand where you're, where you're going with that. And for me, I think, and a part of this is due to having older parents um i do think that that exposure to like people who are and you and i you and i talked about this whenever it was a month ago maybe less again time no meaning in 2020 uh you know people who are older people who are more who have just lived through more things just have a great perspective on life they because they have lived through things it's like those posts not always of, you know, but usually okay I'm, gi- I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt but you know it's like those articles that new york times has been posting about people who survived the spanish flu the holocaust and both world wars and 55 million other things and now they're living through covid again and they're like you know i can't really do anything about it. <laughs> like i can't really do anything about it now that's not the advice that we want people to take away from this podcast that there's nothing they can do about COVID. You can stay home and wash your hands. But um, I do think that they just get, they have such a broader breadth of experience to draw on. They have so many more benchmarks to compare, okay, how stressed am I right now compared to, you know, when I was living through an actual world war or how difficult is life right now compared to XYZ experience. And it just gives them, I think, a most of them, 
a better sense of balance. And, you know, you and I talked about that with mom and dad, like they just don't get fun. They don't get riled about a lot of things, partially because they are as individual weirdos, but partially because of being older and, you know, even the, even the difference in parenting between you and me just shows how quickly experience can change how, what you, you know, what your approach and perspective on life is like. Does it? I mean, with you, they used to say, you know, if you were hanging out with a friend, they need, you know, that the friend's parent needed to be home and they needed to go inside and, and meet them. And by the time three, you know, three years later, they get to me and mom would be like, oh, it's Friday. Like, don't you have someplace to go? <laughs> don't you have things to do? Um, I don't care what they are. Just go do them, I guess, if you want to. <laughs> so you just get that level headedness that I think in particular with all societies, but I think in particular right now, so just a lot of people, I would say myself included in a lot of times, um, are just on edge. Like there's, it just feels like there's so many things that you could be stressed and anxious about, or that you could spend your time worrying about. And it's so refreshing to be around someone who doesn't think it's not to say that they don't think those things are important, but they just are much better at, um, uh, what's the verb I'm trying to think of mediating their emotions or regulating their regulating their response, I think is, is what I'm going for. So linking it back to death, which if we recall is the, is the point of this. Um, the, the point I was going to ask you earlier was, I think it's interesting because, you know, you did ask a lot of questions and you do still ask a lot of questions about people who are older and who in theory will be dying mm-hmm. sooner, who are closer to that part of the process. But the services that you talk about and the things that you're really interested in are actually mostly for the people who stay behind when someone yep. passes away. Would love to hear more around how you think about that and how those two things relate because as we know, the way that somebody who passes away thinks about their life and wants to remember it and wants their family to behave after it is not always what necessarily transpires. Carly and I have talked about this a lot that initially when we talked, we were like, yeah, we want to help people die. And then at some point she was like, you know, we were using that language, but in fact, like everything we talk about is for the people who um, are left behind. Like we're not actually trying to help people die for the most mm-hmm. part. We're mo- mostly trying to help people grieve or like help people. For me, it's about helping people find peace in death. And I think it's because uh the deaths that I have been part of as an adult have been incredibly peaceful in some ways. Um, yeah, is that true? I don't know if peaceful is the right word. Well, we can, we can keep, keep going with that thought. We can talk about that in a second, but yeah. Um, I think that obviously this is an understatement, but like, mm, I think there is like death is just a focusing, a really focusing like 
uh, moment or a focusing experience. If you're, you know, for anybody that is, thinks it might happen to them soon for anybody that, um, if you're like there bearing witness to someone going through it, it's just an incredibly focusing experience. Uh, and I think having been part of that a little bit, um, It's so, it's like so special. I don't know. I don't really have a better word for it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, you know that it's going to be one of the most important moments in, in the life of the person who is dying and in the life of, in the lives of the people who are connected to that person. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think what I said to Carly was, I think it's a lot to ask to try to bring joy into those moments, but I think bringing peace into, into the dying experience is like a tremendous, tremendous gift mm. to be able to give to the people who are left, by, to, to, to actually to both sides, to the person that's leaving and the people that are staying. I think mm-hmm. like being able to bring peace into those moments. Um, you just like it I, I don't have a good way of putting it except that like that like crossing over experience which I think people use you know like I don't like when people use euphemisms for the most part to talk about death because I think we need to be able to um like I think we need to change our relationship to it so mm-hmm. I don't I don't say crossing over euphemistically like I say it kind of literally that there is a transition occurring like live it living alive to dead is a is a transition and there's something obviously I know I'm I'm saying something completely obvious but like there's something so overpowering and poignant and you know it's just like one of the most important moments of anyone's life Mm -hmm. and I think like all the the most we can hope for is is just bringing peace into those moments and I, mm. and it was definitely an incredibly 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 um i guess just like a crucible experience for me when grandpa died to be part of the peace of his death and to know how privileged how like insanely privileged i was mm-hmm. to be able to be in a place of peace about the whole thing Mm -hmm. and this is now a bit of a tangent but it like made me very it is the single experience that has made me the most fervent advocate of uh paid leave Mm -hmm. not that I was ever opposed to it but I just Uh think the fact that I was able to like drop everything at work Uh and Uh go and not have to worry about anything except like being with my family Uh and then later being with my family, being with my family to say goodbye and then being with my family again later to, to mourn and to celebrate. Um, I just think like if I hadn't had that, I think about all the people that couldn't do what I did because they don't have the financial security to do it or they don't have the job security to do it. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think it's immoral mm-hmm. that people, I think it's immoral to deny people that ability to the not ability to the opportunity to like uh 
make sense of mm -hmm. a death in some way. I think um, I I could not agree more. And I and there's two things that you're that you're saying that I'm that I want to reflect on with you. One is the impact, the profound, profound impact that just one person's death has on their loved ones and the people connected to them for decades. And with, and, you know, in many cases for the rest of their loved one's lives cannot be overstated enough. And that's true even when you have the ability to be at peace with it and to mourn. And you are setting in motion by not, if you don't allow people that time to go be there and mourn, not being able to properly like be there for the person when you wanted to be there and process it in the way that you wanted to process it can follow somebody and, and you sort of set in motion a chain reaction of events yeah. that can have a really deep impact on people's psyche and their relationships with other people and their relationship with death and and it's, I don't know what the right way. It's an incredible form of emotional violence to ask people to deny what they're experiencing. Like, I just think like, what if I was a cashier at Dunkin' Donuts, you know, and my grandpa in Michigan. And let's say like, even if I could buy a $400 plane ticket on no notice, like I would lose my, I would risk losing my job or like I wouldn't uh -huh. be paid let's say I could buy the $400 plane ticket, but I didn't have, um, I didn't, I needed to keep working because I needed that additional income for, uh -huh. for anything else. It's just like, I think it's to, to demand that people show up to whatever their source of income is and just like deny themselves, whatever mm -hmm. it is that they're experiencing in those mm -hmm. moments not yeah. just moment, right? Like gr grieving is a, is a very long process. So I, mm -hmm. I think it's like, I think it's cruel mm -hmm. to, to deny people that in any way. Totally. And, and so I think that, I don't know what the, that's something that I think about as one of the challenges of communication for people who participate in that phase of somebody's life, be that people from a religious order, people from funeral home or funeral services, people, you know, people doing, uh, I don't know, health planning in general, whoever is involved in that part of somebody's life. If you have, if you are somebody who has experience, who has gone through this yourself as the loved one of somebody who has passed it is this is kind of the same thing as asking grandma, how does it feel to be in an 80 year old's body? Like I am never going to understand that in the same way. There's just, there's nothing she, I can get close to it in some ways, but there's always just going to be a fundamental experience gap. There's nothing she can say that can close that unless you have gone through a, I would just say a grieving process. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a good one, but unless you've gone through one and you understand what it can feel like, you like, how do we better communicate to people the importance of those things? How do you better communicate to employers the importance of giving people paid time off? How do you better communicate to 
just society in general, that this is something that you you should try to make it to those events and you should try to participate for yourself as much as for your family or the community that you're supporting because this is going to have a profound effect on you. Um, one of the things... Well, communicate to what end? I think it's like if you... It won't necessarily have... Like to, I think you have to be open to it for it to have a profound... Sure. Sure. Effect on you. So, well, I think, but that's, I don't know. I'm trying to understand what you're suggesting. I think it sounds a little bit like forcing people. I think, yes, because this is the thing is I think that there is (laughs) an unconscious. You're a dictator. Yeah. Hello. Only a hundred hours into this podcast and knowing me for 30 years of my life, almost like, come on, that gold, that gray oatmeal, really (laughs) the light is fading fast. Um, the no because i feel like people to sometimes people can sometimes people i wouldn't say consciously but can subconsciously dismiss the importance of participating in in those activities and really by being those present. you mean the uh what do you mean by people those? close people close to the person who is who has passed um and i don't think they and and i mean that even in the sense of you know, maybe you're there, but you're not really, you're not making an effort to be fully present and really processing it and giving yourself time, time and space to think about that. And I, I fully recognize that that's a tremendous privilege to have that. But my point is, I think that this stuff affects people on a subconscious level for a long time, if not the rest of their life. And so that's why I'm saying I think it's important to communicate. I think it's not just around setting up the like infrastructure processes that allow people to be there. It's also communicating to people's uh, emotional, like showing people or being able to explain to people the emotional significance and benefit that they can get from paying attention you know, paying attention and being present and participating in it. It's very easy because, you know, death, death comes for all of us at some point. And most of the time you don't know when it's going to happen. And sometimes it can feel like it's coming at the inopportune moment, which um, obviously our mom knows a lot about, but it comes and like you, and even though it's a huge pain in the butt, sometimes you like, you will regret not taking that time off and not participating and not making sure that you could really fully be there. Um, and I don't know how to, and, and sometimes I feel like I don't know how to explain that to people who, who haven't gone through it before. Um, Hmm. that's, that's just something that I think people in, in this service area of, of, or this phase of people's lives, um, could still, could still improve upon. And I think also explaining mentally preparing people for what it feels like it is it is one of the greatest opportunities for constant rigorous practice of mindfulness. I think you will ever go through in your life if you are a loved one or somebody close to the person who passes. It is so tremendously easy to get wrapped up in tiny little things that don't actually have relevance and it's and it's so easy to get wrapped up in the emotions and let you know 
anxiety around, we want to make sure we did everything that the person wanted and we want to make sure we're honoring them correctly. And we want to make sure we're following, blah, 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 blah. Like there's a, a, just a never ending list of things that you can be worried about. Um, and it will take, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. They're the whole grieving process from if you know the person is sick and is going to pass away from that moment through, you know, plenty of time, even after their services of some kind, if, if there are any, and just constantly checking in with yourself and saying, okay, I noticed that I'm feeling X, X way. Is that, let me just give myself a minute or two to think about, does that seem appropriate for where I'm at right now? Or does it, could that potentially be displaced feelings from this process that Mm -hmm. I'm going through that are, that are manifesting? Mm-hmm. So I did, um, you know, we could keep talking about this for a hundred hours. There's things like you and I didn't really talk about the, we mentioned it briefly, but the, the difference between sort of the Muslim Jewish tradition around death versus Christian, which I know we've had many discussions about, but I think that could be a whole separate podcast. Um, one to sort of, two final questions and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. I would love in the spirit of being open and honest and, and talking about these things. I'd love to know if you have a vision for your own death and, or your death process. I don't know what the appropriate uh, terminology is here. And Mm -hmm. if you do, which you did send us a playlist for your funeral. So I have a sneaking suspicion that you have some vision. There is a Pinterest Probably board somewhere. Um, I'd love, to, I'd love to just hear like two, two or three things max that you, you feel like you must have, they must happen. And two or three things that you absolutely under no circumstances uh, want to have happen or want to have be a part. I don't have anything that 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 is that um, strict. I think that funerals are for the living. So I don't think it's appropriate for me to impose a set of very stringent requirements because they're definitely for the people who are left behind, in my opinion. I have thought about it as part of this homework assignment. I'm less, I'm not for myself, like I'm not especially concerned about what my, what the like burial or um, what the interring and memorializing of me looks like. Uh, I went through this exercise with Carly to, we, our homework was to design our own deaths. Um, and mostly it raised a lot of questions that underscored the logistical complexity of essentially having to plan like a couple hundred person event on like five days notice when you're in the middle mm. of a uh, tremendous grief. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why we're talking about um, death event planners. Mm. Is that, is uh, that the the industry term that you would like to use to refer to yourselves by? 
<laughs> yeah, um, I think we're still working on that part. Um, but it does just seem crazy that people, it's like just a bananas thing when you stop back and think about it and you're like, oh, you need to put on like a, literally like a several hundred person event, typically orchestrated over multiple days, at least in the Christian tradition. Um, and you need to do that while you're potentially like unexpectedly mm-hmm. dealing with a tremendous amount of individual grief and loss. Mm. <laughs> like how insane is that? How insane oh my is God. that that's I like mean, how we carry things out? You know, I, I still will never, as long as I live, get over when you and I, after our, our uncle passed away, when you and I realized that our mom planned her own mother's funeral in the two week span of two and two weeks before I was born. Like I will never get over that as long as I live. Imagine being like 38 weeks pregnant and losing your mother completely unexpectedly. And then somehow planning and executing that event and then a freaking week later having a baby. I will, I am speechless when I think about that. I truly cannot fathom. Yep. Same. That happened. Um, same. Uh, so yeah, so I don't have a lot of very specific wishes for my own moving on. Um, Aside from music, apparently. <laughs> well, I think... I don't, I don't have specific wishes. I have a lot of questions that like the going through the assignment raised and I don't have answers to those questions right now around like, how big do I want? It? I'll give you one example. Hmm. Um, I think size is a big question. So my first thought was I would like something very small. I don't know what, like, I would hmm. like something that feels intimate. And then my next thought was, but during awake I typically find it very moving and comforting. Like the reason you Mm, go to wakes mm -hmm. is partially for you to say, to see the body for the last time, if that's Mm -hmm. something that's important to you, but it's also to show up for the family. Mm -hmm. It's like a sign of respect Mm -hmm. to the person who passed. And most importantly, it is to tell the family that you are there for them and that the person that they lost, that means so much to them is also someone that meant so much to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you're showing up for a number of reasons. And I think I found it comforting to watch people Mm -hmm. show up to the wakes of people that I loved. So that's just a good example of somewhere where personally I envision I would like something small and intimate and probably like outdoors or nearly outdoors. But when I think about what is likely to be best for the people that are being left behind, sorry, I have to yawn because it's 11 p.m. Um, when I think about that, it's more like I was on the edge of my seat. <laughs> but when larger. I think about those left behind, <laughs> yeah, I think it it changes how I think about it. Mm. Yes. Well, I mean, I think, look, we picked death as the topic and I do think it was very funny that you referred to death experts at the top of the call because I think that is a made up. I don't think that's a thing. I don't think any, if you are here on this earth talking to me, you haven't died. So how could you be an expert in it? Like I just, Hmm. there are no death experts in my opinion. So, um, 
it, uh, you know, it's one of those things where there is no right answer. This is very different. You know, last week we were talking with um, Lily about being immunocompromised. That's a very discreet, concrete, like there are boundaries to that and we know what is good and what is bad. And that, you know, the rule book is out the window on, on death. And at IHI, we have this project that we did with NPR called the Conversation Project, and it's getting people to have end-of-life conversations um, way before you're mm-hmm. in an end-of-life situation. And one of the things that they, uh, one of the concepts they use is this concept of a good death versus a bad death. And mm-hmm. that does not have a specific definition. It is so person-specific. One One person's passing could feel like a good death to one person and could feel like a bad death to somebody else, even if it is clinically or sort of um, operationally, the same things happened. So there are no right answers here. I think there are only questions, but I do, I think the most important thing is you mentioned is to be talking about it and to be explicit about it, you know, as, as goofy sometimes as, as asking those questions can feel to people Certainly people who, especially like grandma, are just more reserved in general, they do prompt really important questions. And it is very, as awkward as it can sometimes be to have the initial conversation or to start to have parts of the conversation, it is so reassuring to go into moments and know this is what this person wanted. And we talked about it at length. And they knew what I wanted and, and we were able to have a discussion and, and that can change over time. So I think the earlier that you can start talking about it openly with the people you care about, the better uh, for, for everybody involved, even while you're still both on uh, this side of the dirt as it, as it were. So I know, yes, but I think, well, sorry, my only comment is that like, yes, I think it's important to discuss the, of course, there are a lot of very specific medical decisions to be made um, around what you want as you are dying or maybe dying and like what you want once you have uh, transitioned. So I don't downplay that at all, but I think like what's more, <laughs> what the most important thing you could do is in my opinion um, for the people that you will eventually inevitably leave behind is to like come to peace with your mortality like that's Mm -hmm. that's much Mm -hmm. more important Mm -hmm. to me like ultimately i don't care if you like spread me in a field i don't want to be buried in a way that is very natural resource intensive so you know (laughs) i have some opinions about the (laughs) method i would like to be the um the least uh carbon <laughs> carbon producing um or like to be to be buried in at least carbon producing bay and use the fewest natural resources or use recycled resources but anyways outside of those preferences um like i think the most important thing for me to do is is to be okay with the fact that i mm-hmm. am going to die at some point and to try to live my life in a way that like whenever that moment comes whether it is uh tomorrow or next year or next century that like I can be that I can be at peace with that like that's Mm -hmm. what I think that's what would be the hardest for me is to think about anybody I love that has died that like wasn't wasn't uh at peace with it like hadn't Mm -hmm. hadn't come to terms with it you know Mm -hmm. 
I think if you can come to terms with it, then the people around you can come to terms with it eventually. Totally. totally. And I think that, and I mean, that's, that's uh, apologies for maybe making that sound a little bit differently earlier. That's what I'm talking about. In, in my opinion, if you can talk about the whole experience, I'm not saying necessarily the logistical details of things, but just in general saying, you know, just saying, yeah, I, I like, I'm going to, I'm going to die someday and whatever. And being able to talk about that openly, it doesn't exclusively mean this, but I think it shows a level of comfort and as, as you described peace um, and just acceptance around that fact. And I think I, I could not agree more. I think the more that somebody is comfortable with that, the, honestly, I would say the more enjoyable life is like, I don't, you know, people are worried about that all the time. It's just exhausting. And whatever that phrase is about, like you worry about dying so much that you never live is very true. Um, and also when they pass, you can, you can, you know, a lot of the times you tell people that have, that have lost somebody that you hope that you can use this time to reflect on the the positive memories you had with them. And if you know that they were at peace with what happened, you can actually do that. You know, you're not spending a lot of time agonizing over why, why did it happen now or did it need to happen now and blah, blah, blah. You can really just enjoy the hopefully lifetime of experiences and, and memories that you had with them, which is, I think, what everybody who ultimately has loved ones in their life. If, if you really, if you ask the general population and gave them that language, I think most people would say that's what they would want for, for their loved ones after they pass. Mm-hmm. So I am conscious of the fact that it is two minutes to 11 p.m. on a weekday. And I am so grateful to you for taking this time in your closet and suffering many um, physical <laughs> physical injuries and really putting that gray oatmeal to work. Uh, hmm. It's already done a lot today, I'm sure. So um, as I like to treat all my guests as though they are famous celebrities, because in my mind they are, I hmm. have to ask you, uh, is there anything you would like to plug? You mentioned, uh, an article at the <laughs> top of the, <laughs> top of the episode. If you have any of your own content, would perhaps you would like to plug your new company with Carly? I don't know if there's a name mm. for it yet. Our working name is Bones and Bones LLC. Got it. Look it up, kids. <laughs> Where do you want to be found? Bones and Bones LLC at gmail.com. Well, thank you, Judith. And uh, for those of you who are anxiously awaiting yet another hour and a half of mindless chatting between me and somebody else that I think is really interesting, a third episode will be coming out. Thank you for listening to Liberal Use of the Word, and I will see you next time.